Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to worship again. Great to be here with all of you, and especially those of you joining us by video also. I want to say welcome to you. You're connected with us in a different way if you're in our traditional service, or some of you are online kind of across the country, I think even around the world, and I'm glad you're connected with us this way. If you're ever in this area, you're welcome to be part of what God is doing here in our community, physically in the space too. And those of you in our traditional service and here, we've got ushers who are going to bring Bibles up the aisles right now. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to learn from the story of Jesus' life in the Bible today like we always do. And so you can just borrow one from them if you don't have your own Bible with you and read along and practice finding passages and learn how to read the story of Jesus' life for yourself. As a church community, right, we're in this journey right now. It's kind of a year-long series we're doing in worship and in our growth groups. It's called According to Luke. Because together we're reading one of the stories, in the, one of the books in the Bible, a biography of Jesus called The Gospel According to Luke. And today we are reading about a group of people that Jesus encountered, and they're called the Pharisees, right? Hey, go ahead and raise your hands if you've ever heard the word Pharisee anywhere before, right? A lot of us have. And when you heard it, was it a nice word, Right? No, I mean, if you've never read the Bible before, if you've never been in a church before, you may very well have heard the word Pharisee, and they did not mean it as a compliment, right? We're going to talk about the Pharisees today, and if you were throwing a party next weekend, you would not invite Pharisees, right? They are not party people. They're just a bunch of fun stealers, right? If you've ever heard of Pharisees, you probably know that we associate Pharisees with hypocrisy which means like showing, it's putting on a show, doing one thing on the outside and being something different on the inside. In fact, the word hypocrisy, thousands of years ago, it comes from a word that means to be an actor in a play, right? To put on a show and be something different than what you actually are. Hypocrisy and judgment, right? Judging other people. And in Jesus' confrontations with the Pharisees, it's so often about judgment. And these things we're going to learn about today because the Pharisees are they're much more interesting than we actually realize. And I think the Pharisees are very helpful for helping us understand who Jesus really was, what he was about, what Jesus, what Jesus really saw and was teaching a little more clearly than we can without them. When I think about these themes of hypocrisy and judgment, I am reminded how important they still are in our lives today. This isn't about things that happened 2,000 years ago. It's about what's still going on in our lives today. And I was reminded this last week how relevant judgment still is in our world when I joined a new gym last Friday. Huh? And I joined the most judgment-free gym in the world. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? It's called Planet Fitness, right? And ironically, I found out by doing a little internet searching, it's also the most judged gym in the whole world, right? Like bodybuilders all over the internet hate Planet Fitness. And I'm like, do I look like a bodybuilder to you? You know, right? In fact, I know that I don't because, so my wife Amy and I go to Planet Fitness and we get like a tour of the place. And the guy who's touring us around and selling us on this place says, now you should know that most, the majority of our members are first time gym members. I was like, that's what I look like to you. I get it. All right. That's a big selling point. I guess I didn't know, right? Anyway, and then I go home and I download the Planet Fitness app because I don't want to carry all the cards in my wallet, all that, right? And I download the app. You know what it says, the app, the tagline? The most judgment-free app in the world. That's what it said, right? I have no idea if any of this is true or not, but it sells. Apparently it sells. And I'm pretty sure it's more judgment-free than like Instagram and Facebook and all the places that you experience judgment all the time. This last week, uh, on Wednesday night, our student ministry department put on an event for parents, and they brought in a parent speaker 
who gave a talk called Parenting with Purpose in a Distracted World, trying to help raise responsible, mature Christian kids in the world that we live in right now. And he put up this graphic, and I was like, man, that's what I'm talking about on Sunday, how, how kids, how teenagers are constructing their identity, how they're being taught who they are and what they experience judgment for. And he had four Ps. They are judged and constructed an identity based on personal looks, performance, popularity, and possessions, right? Those of you who are teenagers, you experience this. You know the truth of this, right? I'm parenting one teenager, one soon-to-be teenager. The other thing that strikes me when I read this is, I guess I must be a teenager, right? I mean, we're still living the same stuff. This doesn't go away as soon as you get a little bit older. We add some more. Now we also judge people for other Ps, for their politics, for their parenting, for all kinds of stuff, right? As a parent, man, I've seen this stuff, and I think moms get hit harder than dads do. But like everything that you do is wrong because it's not like somebody else. If you like have organic food for your kids or you're like all natural, whatever, like you're a bad mom if you don't and also if you do. We live in judgment all the time, right? Based on all the stuff that's on the outside of us. You're being sized up and judged and evaluated and put into categories all the time. And none of us like it. It's why this stuff sells, right? Another example, uh, I don't even know if it's still there anymore, but I saw it until recently. There was a billboard as you drive down Interstate 94 on the east side of Woodbury where you're heading toward Wisconsin. There was a billboard there for years for some dental practice. I don't remember which one, but I remember how gracious they were because they said they are lecture-free dentistry, right? Not quality dentistry, not pain-free, not clean teeth, but lecture-free, right? Because that's what we need because we experience so much judgment in so many ways in so many places. And although, I'm sorry to say it, but if, if so many of us are experiencing judgment, a little bit of arithmetic will tell us that so many of us are doing it, right? We're not only experiencing it, but we're also judging other people. And when I was preparing this message, this came back to me real quick. Early this week, as I was kind of putting things together, that I had just done this last weekend. I had a very clear example in my mind of some, some people that I saw and heard over the weekend, and I just kind of came to this snap judgment about them and realized this is in my heart, you know? We all do this, this Pharisee inside of us that sees people and puts a category on them and decides something about them and judges them. This was true of the Pharisees that Jesus encountered thousands of years ago, and it's this ongoing struggle for us today. And what I want to do is talk to you today, read a story of one of Jesus' very specific interactions with the Pharisees, and see how he kind of drives this thing even a little bit deeper. Because judgment is like the presenting symptom. It's where he got in conflict with Pharisees. They judged the people that he loved. They judged him for loving them. He wa they wanted Jesus to be more judging. It's all judgment on the surface. But really, that's just the presenting symptom. Like when you go to the doctor and you have a fever or an ache or a pain, and they try to figure out what the actual cause is, right? We're going to read the story of Jesus interacting with the Pharisees and driving it deeper to see what, what's the problem kind of underneath. So if you got a Bible, if you took one from the ushers, you open up your phone or your Bible app, we're going to read Luke chapter 11, verses 37 through 44. When this passage starts, Jesus has been doing some teaching. He's telling some parables. He's teaching people about God and about life with God. And apparently there are some Pharisees in the audience, right, that are listening uh, because Jesus gets an invitation as soon as he's done with this body of teaching. Here's what Jesus, is, what the Bible says. In Luke 11, verse 37, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. That's not because Jesus had bad table manners that he laid down. They didn't have chairs, right? So they had low tables and they sat on the floor and leaned over. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Right? 
There are like nine-year-old boys everywhere going, awesome, I don't have to wash my hands anymore because Jesus didn't. Okay, that's not actually what it's about. The Pharisees are well known to have had a particular practice of doing kind of ceremonial washings. I don't know that they cared a lot about germs and stuff like that, but there was a ceremonial washing of hands and dishes before a meal. It was similar to what happened in the temple, and they were just trying to say, this is how holy we are. We clean all this stuff before we eat. And also, it had a very important dimension of group bonding. Because the only ancient Jews who did this were the Pharisees. And so if you ate at their table, you did what the in-group does, and they know that you're one of the cool kids who gets to eat at their lunch table, right? There was a sense of belonging. And I thought about this, like, this is how judgment works. It's not just about judging individuals. It's about, are you in my in-group or not, right? So like the judgment-free gym that I go to, on this wall it says judgment-free zone, and on this wall it says, you belong you belong, right? Now, so far, nobody's hugged me, known my name, welcomed me, given me anything, right? But they do dip into my checking account once a month. So that's what it means to belong. But, but it's what we're selling, right? Judgment-free, you belong. The Pharisees know how to tell who belongs. It's if you obey the right ceremonies, then you're in the in-group. Then the Lord said, Jesus said back to this Pharisee, now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside, Jesus makes this contrast and outside, inside, you're full of greed and wickedness. Just wrecked the party mood right there, didn't he? You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, let's talk about that. Be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. So Jesus sets up this contrast between what's on the outside and what's on the inside. And then he starts going harder. Woe to you, Pharisees. Because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. I'm going to explain that in a second. But you neglect justice and the love of God. And you should have practiced these latter things, justice and the love of God, without leaving the former, these other things, without leaving that undone, right? So the Pharisees had learned from the Bible, from the Old Testament, part of the Bible we still have, that what God, God wanted them to practice this kind of sacrificial generosity. They would take at least a tenth of all that they had, a tenth of their income, and they would give it to God as an act of worship. They would sacrifice, and, they would get, and it would be giving it to God's work and God's service in the world and caring for the poor and providing for the worship of God's people. And the Pharisees were like, we want to do that. In fact, we want to be so careful to make sure that we're doing that, that we're going to make sure every little herb in the cupboard, we give at least a tenth of all that stuff so that we're not failing to live up to God's law. And Jesus is not critical of that, actually. That's good. Don't leave that undone. Please make sure that you give sacrificially to God. Jesus says, do that. But what about the weightier things? Not just conformity to certain regulations or standards, and you go, I'm good, now I don't have to care anymore. What about justice and the love of God? Like, let's, let's focus, let's major on the majors. And then he keeps going. Woe to you, verse 43. Because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and you like respectful greetings in the marketplaces that people would see how good you are and honor you. And woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. Man, that's not a nice thing to say to somebody, is it? You are like unmarked graves. And that image probably means two things. On the one hand, the most obvious meaning is while you may look good on the outside, like there's not even a gravestone there and the grass is growing and there's flowers, that's cool, it's unmarked, but there's deadness underneath, right? There's deadness on the inside. I think that's probably the basic meaning of this image. 
But in Jesus' culture too, the Israelites had certain, again, regulations about how they're not supposed to walk over graves and they're not supposed to be in contact with death except in certain circumstances. And so he's saying, you're actually misleading people. You're leading them, you're trying to lead them toward cleanliness and purity and right ceremonies, but you're actually misleading them into things that they don't want. You're dead on the inside and as teachers of God's people, you are actually misleaders of God's people. Man, what a confrontation, right? I want to make three quick observations with you to try to understand kind of the spirit of what Jesus is saying here. Three, so if you're a note taker, these are the three points that I want you to remember today. But the first thing that we see here is very simply, Jesus cares about the inside, right? There's a real emphasis here on the inside over what happens on the outside. Jesus cares about the inside. And at the, at the simplest level, this is so refreshing This is such a refreshing change from the shallow, surface-level, externally-focused, judgment-oriented culture that we live in that makes judgments about you all the time based on what's on the outside, right? Remember those, those four Ps that I put up there, the personal looks and the performance and the possessions and the popularity? You're getting evaluated on those things all the time. Right? Are you, are you not, you're not thin enough, you're not strong enough, you're not tall enough, you're not small enough, you haven't done a good enough job, you haven't earned enough, you haven't bought the right car, you're not dressed in the right clothes, what I expected from you, you didn't do, you didn't measure up, all these things, you're only as good as your most recent failure, right? I mean, we're experiencing this stuff all the time. And it's not always intentional. We make snap judgments about what people look like on the outside, right? Did, did you know Studies have shown that when you interview for a job, people are more likely to get hired if they conform to certain expectations of being physically attractive than otherwise, right? Just if you look better, you're more likely to get the job. This probably doesn't surprise you. And I don't know that it's always intentional. It's just a snap judgment. Studies have shown that based on identical resumes, if you just cut and paste the name off the top, the very same resume, you're more likely to get called in for an interview if you have a Caucasian-sounding name than an African-American-sounding name or a foreign-sounding name. Same resumes, stats change if you just change the name at the top. I don't think it's always intentional. Sometimes it's just so hardwired into us, right? Here's one that makes fun of me. Did you know that an overwhelmingly high fraction of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies are men over six feet tall, right? It's not because tall people are smarter. It's not because we're more capable or stronger, right? It just sort of communicates something. We just make judgments about people based on what we see on the outside. And it's dumb, and it stinks, right? It's broken, and yet, this is, and yet this is true. Jesus cares about what's on the inside, right? Looks past these superficial things, looks past the stuff that are the external markers that we judge people based on, and instead what Jesus sees when he looks at a human being is a human being of infinite worth, of unsurpassable worth, somebody loved, made, and loved by their creator God, somebody worth dying for. So if you know that you have been evaluated, sized up, written off, judged, placed into a category because of something on the outside, a failure of performance, what you look like, what status you have or don't have, that is the brokenness and shallowness of our world. Jesus is better than that. He sees what's on the inside. And then, not only does Jesus see what's on the inside, but if we are his apprentices, if we're Jesus' followers, he wants us to care about what's on the inside also, right? And this applies to how we see other people and how we see ourselves, right? So again, the the easy, obvious negative example 
is the Pharisees, right? They're always seeing people based on categories. And so they complain when Jesus eats with the wrong kind of people. They never say their names. They don't understand their stories. But he eats with tax collectors. That's the category they belong in. And sinners and prostitutes and rebels and losers of all kind, right? They see somebody and put them in a label. They got a box for those people. They judge based on what's on the outside. Jesus wants us to see what's on the inside. And he wants us to see other people the same way that he does. So when you see somebody else and you're tempted to go like, oh, I know what kind of person that kind of person is, and I can make a judgment about them. Instead, I think he wants us to see other human beings and see them as infinitely valuable, precious human beings. People who have hopes and dreams and stories and pasts and futures, right? And imaginations and relationships and value, infinite value unsurpassable worth in the eyes of God, that we would see what Jesus sees. We would care about what's on the inside of people so much more than what's on the outside. But not only does Jesus want us to see other people that way, I think it has to start with how we see ourselves, that we would see in us what Jesus sees in us, that we would pay more attention to the inside through the lens of Jesus than we pay attention to the outside. And we get so caught up in this. And here's a tough diagnostic question to ask about this. I want you to think back over your past week or so. You pick any time you want, really, but just like maybe think over your past week or so and ask yourself about the amount of concern that you have invested in the things that are on the outside of you versus the concern that you invested on the things that are on the inside of you, right? And this could be your emotions or your security or your attentions or your intentions or maybe financial resources. I don't know. How much are you concerned about the outside versus the inside? When you think about how much time you spent this week concerned about what somebody would see in you, right? Whether you were dressed right for whatever environment you were going to be in, whether you looked right, whether your body shape was right, whether you appeared right, whether you were going to show up in the right car, whether you had the right possessions, whether you were going to tell the right stories and signal that you were part of the right clubs, like all that stuff that you're worried about, how people are perceiving you. And we are trained for that, right? I mean, we're conditioned from the day we're born, practically, to worry about that stuff all the time. And so much money is spent to convince you that you're not good enough on the outside and you should try to buy more products and position yourself differently. We're so invested in that, right? And then on the other hand, contrast that with how much concern did you have this last week? Was it, was it equally a priority to make time that we were in prayer this last week, to bring our cares to God and to receive guidance from him? Were we as, as much concern invested that we had some time and some quiet space to read the Bible, the stories of God and the person of Jesus, that we would know what God is like and what his attitude toward us is and what kind of community he wants to form among us? Or the concern level to spend a life, to spend time in worship and in building Christian community and practicing Sabbath together. Now, I don't don't say these things to heap up guilt on you. This is the big danger is that now, like, I have no interest in you walking out the doors and going, man, I stink. Pastor Steve told me I don't pray enough and I don't read the Bible enough, right? That's exactly how I feel right now. And I understand that you're probably going to feel that way. That's not my interest. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. I'd rather ask the question, from the way that Jesus does, right? If we saw what Jesus saw on the inside of us, then we would be free to jump off that infernal hamster wheel that's destroying us, that dries up our souls, that makes us worry so much about all those things. And we could instead be free to pay attention to and be concerned with those things that matter, those things that actually feed our souls and foster joy, right? It's not that Jesus comes to you and he wants all this from you. What's your checklist? Have you prayed? Have you read your Bible? Have you obeyed? That's a Pharisee, right? 
It's not what Jesus wants from you to check off his list. It's the life that Jesus wants for you and for us together as a people that we could be invested in those things that matter much more, those things that aren't going to be buried in a box with you at the end of your life, but rather would be eternal, that we could pay attention to those things that are on the inside. So Jesus cares about what's on the inside, and he wants us to care about what's on the inside. And then, so the first two things, Jesus cares about the inside, Jesus wants us to care about the inside, and then Jesus washes the inside. Jesus washes the inside. At the beginning of this passage, Jesus criticized the Pharisees. You wash the outside of the cup and the dish, but what about the inside? The implication is they wash the outside, but he washes the inside of stuff, right? And this is really important because I just, I just brought us all to a very dangerous moment. Right? If you ever care about the inside of yourself, if you've ever spent more than five seconds looking in the mirror of your soul, you're going to see something not pretty, right? You're going to be reminded that it's not so good in there, actually. If I spend any time at all reflecting on my own motivations, my own soul, I realize there's selfishness in there, right? There's bitterness in there. There's greed in there. There's unforgiveness. There's resentment on the inside. When Jesus sees what's on the inside, he sees that stuff. And this is a hard truth to tell, right? I mean, if you ever go looking at some other resource that tells you, don't look at the outside, look in the inside. Whatever book you read, blog you read, podcast you listen to, talk show you watch, if you ever hear, look at the inside of you, what you're going to hear is look at the inside of you because you're so perfect and beautiful on the inside. The problem is, you know that's not true, right? We all know And that lie is not going to get us to bedtime, let alone a sustainable life of peace in our souls, a life of peace with God. Instead, we hear the truth from Jesus that I looked inside the cup and I found stuff I needed to clean and then I washed the inside of the cup, right? That Jesus comes to us even in our sin and our brokenness and he graces us and he forgives us. He sees the infinite value. He sees your worthiness of love, not because you were so good. Thank God that's not what it's based on. He sees your infinite value, not because you were so good, but because the love of God is so good. And you can take that to the bank, right? Jesus is the one who washes the inside. And then he cleans it in a different way too, right? He forgives it, and then he actually begins to cleanse us from the inside out, right? And this is really important. It's not that Jesus doesn't care about the behaviors and attitudes and actions and relationships in our lives. It's not that the Pharisees care and Jesus is all just like, well, whatever, do whatever you want. Jesus cares very much about what happens in our relationships on the outside of us, right? At the beginning of the story that we read in the gospel according to Luke months ago when we started this journey, he got up in the synagogue in Nazareth and began, he launched his ministry. And he said he came to give sight to the blind and freedom to the oppressed. And he proclaimed a gospel that was good news to the poor. Those things all happen on the outside of us, right? He wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Not the neighbor that's inside of us, but the actual neighbor on the outside of us. To do justice and love mercy and to walk humbly with our God and care for the vulnerable. He cares very much about what's on the outside of us. It's not the difference between Jesus and the Pharisees is so clarified by this, right? The Pharisees, they wanted people to grow in godliness. They wanted people to obey God. But they thought that the way to get people to obey God was to just hammer away on them, right? To hold up the standard and say, this is what God wants, and this is where you are, and you stink, right? And to make rules and regulations and laws until you finally get here. And when you finally do, then you can sit at the cool kids table with us and wash your stuff on the outside, right? And then you'll belong. It's not that Jesus doesn't care about the outside. It's that Jesus, no, it doesn't work that way, right? 
Has that method ever really worked for you in terms of long-term life transformation and healthy relationships? Jesus wants this stuff, but he understands that what's on the outside is usually downstream from what's on the inside, right? And so instead, Jesus begins the work of life transformation and action transformation, relationship transformation, community transformation by working at our hearts, by starting at what's inside of us. And so he finds this stuff that's broken and sinful and dirty on the inside of the cup and gives us the experience of grace (laughs) to know what's truthfully broken about us and to know that he loves us anyway. To have that experience of love that we would know what it means to love our neighbors who are as broken and sinful as we are. He knows the transformation of people and relationships and communities comes by the power of grace and the power of his love and by the power of his presence, by his own Holy Spirit at work in us and among us and begins to wash us and cleanse us from the inside out, right? Jesus cares about what's on the inside and he wants us to care about what's on the inside and then he cleans us on the inside. He's the one who washes us on the inside. So here's what I want you to do today. I want to give you one line to remember from this sermon. If you've been taking notes already, maybe just one more thing. And if you haven't, this is like your shortcut to the one-line summary, the whole message, all right? I want you to say with me, I will trust what Jesus sees, okay? So if you're like watching at home, if you're in the traditional sanctuary, all of us, can we say that together? I will trust what Jesus sees, okay? And this starts with you, right? With your own identity, We are tempted, we are forced, we are pressured to construct identities based on what everybody else sees in us. All the stuff that's on the outside, we're trying to put together these pieces and trying to conform to their expectations. And I would rather, I think Jesus wants you to know who you are. I want you to know what Jesus sees in you, all right? I will trust about myself what Jesus sees, that you are a beloved child of God, that you belong among his people, that he is drawn near to you, that he is with you. I will trust what Jesus sees. And then not only will you begin to receive that and then begin to walk that out, right? In terms of what your emotions are invested in and what your time is invested in and what you feel pressured to do, I will trust what Jesus sees, right? And so if you, if you wrote that down somewhere, maybe you could tack that up somewhere this week where you're going to see it, all right? Maybe you want to put that up on like your bathroom mirror that you're going to stare in and see the externals like every day this week. Or maybe, maybe put it in your car, only look at it when the light is red and you come to a complete stop, right? Or put it in your Bible or someplace where you're going to see it. I will trust what Jesus sees, right? I'm I'm inviting you to have faith in Jesus, to trust Jesus in this, to, to believe what he sees in you. And then as you trust what Jesus sees in you, that we would also then trust what Jesus sees in others, right? Because you're gonna see people and they're gonna come with all kind of externals and, but let's look through those, right? Not that they don't matter. Jesus does care about what's on the outside of us, but don't stop there, right? See what's on the inside, a creature made by God, loved by God, of infinite worth. Somebody that was so valuable to Jesus that he'd die for them, right? And if he's that loved by Jesus, wouldn't, wouldn't that person be loved by us too? So that's what I want you to remember this week, where you go, where, wherever you go this week. Remember the love that God has for you, that Jesus cares about your inside, and the love that God has for others too, that we would trust what Jesus sees in us and sees in them. Let's pray for God to give us the eyes and the power to see that. Father in heaven, we thank you. That you're good. You're so much better than the shallow, toxic imaginations that we form for ourselves, the culture that we live in, where we judge one another based on all these unimportant things. 
And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would enliven our hearts. Give us the eyes to see what you see. Give us the faith to trust what you see. That you would help us to trust what you see in us. That you would give us the faith to know who we are in you and to trust your love for us. And I pray you'd so fill us up with the power of your Holy Spirit that we would trust what you see in others. We pray you be in charge of us, right? You build this community. You are Lord of this church, and we acknowledge that your priorities reign here. And we just want our lives to conform to yours. Make this to be a church that's made in your image, not, not run by Pharisees, but run by you. We submit to you, and we trust you. We trust what you see. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.